Welcome to 2LO Rebooted, where we tell the stories of design and engineering. I'm Bill Thompson. In this show, we're returning to the DEVELOP conference, which took place at the end of April. DEVELOP is a technology conference which brings a mix of internal and external speakers to the BBC's developer community. It runs over two days, one in London and one in Salford, and each day ends with a series of short lightning talks from BBC developers, and we're going to cover that in two programmes. In programme one, we're going to hear about advocacy and elephants. First up, here's Neil Craig and David Buckhurst, who spoke about the DE Advocacy Group. I'm Neil, lead technical architect in BBC OTG, the online technology group. And I'm going to very briefly run through what's been happening in the DE advocacy community recently. The BBC's got a long history of technology innovation and outreach, but our own internal perceptions in the BBC rarely match those in uh, the external perceptions. The way the BBC talks about itself often plays down the significance of our technology impact, even though every day we solve problems on a scale that most software engineers, architects, designers and researchers never see in their careers. What might seem ordinary and everyday to us is often anything but ordinary to those outside the BBC. We realised there was an opportunity to do better at telling our story, and over the years we know that some individuals and some groups have been working on advocacy, but their isolation has usually meant that the impact they had was uh, rather limited. What we were missing was a grassroots community that could coordinate and elevate our advocacy efforts. And so the BBC DE advocacy, can't even say it, community was formed. We had our inaugural meeting back in January. That brought together around 100 people across five BBC sites. Right now, we've got just under 200 people in the advocacy Slack channel, so it's clearly a, a popular sentiment and movement. A strong advocacy community brings a number of benefits to DE and to our staff. Talking about our achievements gives us peer recognition, which, obviously, uh, which often leads to greater job satisfaction. This, in turn, helps with staff retention because happier people stay longer. Being better recognised within the industry should also help us with recruitment. People are more likely to want to work here if, we know, if, if they know what we work on. Discussing work openly also means that we learn from each other and we avoid duplication of effort. There are a number of working groups within the advocacy community, so I'll just briefly run through each of them and give you an idea what they focus on. The general working group is a central forum for overall strategy and for some cross-working group themes. The blogging working group facilitates and encourages d &E staff to write blog posts, both for our technology and creativity blog, as you saw earlier, and also for the various medium blogs that we run. Uh, the conferences and meetups group aims to help d &E staff attend, speak at, and organize conferences and meetups. The diversity working group is working to help ensure that our advocacy work is fully inclusive and is as diverse as possible. The internal advocacy group is pretty much what it says on the tin. It sounds simple, but often is anything but. But this does have a huge potential impact on the growth and also the long-term success of advocacy within DE. The open source working group. Um, the BBC's built up quite a body of open source projects over the years, and this group works on how we simplify the process into going open source um, and make that simpler, how we shout about what we do, and how we grow and engage with communities. The outreach and hackathons working group is working on how we engage with the universities and with the wider tech community. Representing and being a role model. Uh, it's, it, it's good to be a visible representative for our industry and role models inspiring the next generation. There are many ways to do this, and some are more formal than others. The BBC name helps to bring an impact um, and to make this more meaningful. Uh, there is the Standards Bodies and Working Groups Working Group, and this group works on BBC representation in standard bodies and working groups. So this is things like the IETF, 
uh, W3C, IEEE, DVB, EBU, and quite a number of others. There's a TV, radio, and podcast working group. Um, we are a media organization after all, so we should use those channels to talk about what we do within DNE. And this group is working on how we can do just that. So, how can you get involved? We have a global Slack channel, as I mentioned earlier, that's Hash Advocacy, so you can join there. There are some more specific working groups for some of the, uh, sorry, more specific channels for some of the working groups. You can search DNE Advocacy on Confluence. Um, we'd love you to join the working group or working groups that you're interested in. Um, and I'd really like to say this is for everybody in DE. It doesn't matter how long you've been at the BBC, what your role is, or anything else, we'd love you to get involved. And I'd like to say a big thank you to everybody that's participated so far over the last uh, six or eight months or so. Neil Craig there. And now for David Buckhurst's take. Hi, I'm David Buckhurst. I work over on DOC. I'm the engineering manager um, in TV and radio. So I'm going to talk about advocacy. Uh, this, this is our mission, really, to build and nurture a community of enthusiasts, to raise the profile of the BBC as a tech company, enable DE staff to have an impact beyond their day-to-day -day role, and to coordinate and support advocacy efforts across DE. Uh, &E. so, so we kind of acknowledge that this stuff's been going on really well for a number of years, but it's been in pockets, and, and so the, the idea is to try and bring it all together. We had our, our first kind of big meeting in January, which, which was about 100 people five different locations. You can imagine the, the, the video conferencing hell that was. There were too many of us, so we, we've split into a number of working groups to tackle some of, the, some of the various areas. What I wanted to talk about, though, were a few of the kind of concrete areas where, where real initiatives have, have been driving change. So um, when, I, when I said on the Slack channel um, earlier in the week, What's, what's one thing I can talk about you know, that we've really achieved in, in the few months? And, and they said, well, the, the fact that we've actually got a Confluence page, you know, a, a space that brings everything together, you know, and, and actually, yeah, that's, that's probably the, the biggest achievement to date. So to talk about a couple of the areas, the conferencing and meetups group, I think you know, they've, got a, they've got some conference space that brings together a calendar of conference events and meetups. They've got advice there on if you want to talk at conferences. They've got supporting material, contacts who can help you prepare links to talks, internal and external, and, um, and contacts if you want to you know, join meetups in your area. And, and, th and they're also looking for talk mentors at the moment, so to, to help people who've not actually talked at conferences before but would like to, like to make the first steps. Another space I wanted to call out was blogging. So I think last year there were about five or six different medium blog um, that, that kind of popped up. So, so what we wanted to do was bring all those together you know, under the DE banner and, and provide advice and, and context for people who want to blog. Um, and really, I think the big success there is in demystifying the, the whole process of how you actually get approved to, to, to put a blog out. So that's averaging about two blog posts a week, which, which I think is excellent. And then the final area I just wanted to talk about was, was open source, which is the area I look after. We went to talk to Matthew Postgate last year around, oh, can we just open source the BBC, please? And he's still thinking about that. But what he, what he did say was he, was he was keen for us to kind of reboot open source for, for 2018. In conjunction with that, then, we've been working with R&D and legal, working out a new simplified process for, for releasing a project. So, so we talked to, to people like Facebook, Google, Microsoft, who've... Um, you know, done a lot of open source work, and they basically said, "Look, automate the whole thing, and that'll that'll just solve all your problems." So, so that's what we've been trying to do. So, we've got just got a really simple process we're trying to work on that allows you basically to self-serve and then link your open source release with any GitHub repositories that might be related. So, that should be launching sometime this year and kind of really simplify the whole the whole thing. 
Uh, final point I wanted to make was around, we want to make it easier to contribute to third-party open source projects. So we've been working with a number of, of, of open source projects that are out there to help with things like compliance and licensing. This is another place where it's, it's quite good if, if you want to get involved and, and get involved with some third-party open source projects, you can do so. That was David Buckhurst. And next, we're going to think about accessibility. And first, from Jamie Knight, who started his talk with elephants. So this talk today is about how to eat elephants. I was asked to do a five-minute talk, so I decided to start with something simple. Now, to people who know me, you'll know that I work in the accessibility team, so I'm afraid this is actually a talk about accessibility. We've sneaked one in through the back door. But today, I want to take you through how to eat an elephant. So we're going to need to, going to, need to do two things first. First, what is accessibility? And then secondly, what should the first three bites be? Because, of course, how do you eat an elephant? You take bites. Let's start. So my team... Uh, our goal is to make websites, apps, and services that don't disable people. People go, oh, yeah, cool. Wait, what? Hang on. What do you mean, don't disable people? Well, disability can be defined in many ways. And one way of defining disability is to say that it's the result of an impairment, such as vision or hearing, or being in California, um, or being out on a Friday night, um, and an environment, which is the things that are built around us, expectations, and the habits we have. What happens is when you take an environment Sorry, when you take someone with an impairment and a badly designed environment, the environment disables the person. Or to put it another way, when we design and build things, we are disabling our audience. It's on us to do it better. And interestingly, in the accessibility team, we're not responsible. Our job is to move knowledge and skills around the organization via things like the champions, but responsibilities lands with the products. The products are making the choices, which is a little bit scary. So, Let's say you've decided that accessibility is a thing you should probably want to be doing. Then what do you do? What are the first three bytes? Where do you start? So the first byte is color. So color and meaning are related concepts. And in this lovely diagram, I've shown you a box with the success state, the empty state, and the failed state. And as you can see, that without the, without the use of color, they don't really make any difference. However, if we modify our designs to make the context explicit, then we don't need color to communicate that. The second thing is contrast. Now, this is more aimed at designers, but as developers, we have a role in testing this. If the user can't see it, they can't use it. So color contrast is essential to what we do. So the second byte is keyboard. Now, I don't mean music keyboards. I mean the keyboard mechanism for interacting with browsers. Lots of other assistive technology build on top of the keyboard. So switches for someone like Stephen Hawking, voice dictation software, and screen readers such as JAWS. So the third byte is labeling stuff. If you don't know what it is, you don't know what it is. So labeling images with alt text, labeling, subtitling, um, even how we label our buttons and stuff. A link called Read Me doesn't read more doesn't really make much sense. But read more about the Queen's not the Queen's new baby, the new princess royal baby. I don't know what happened. Some baby got born. And in a nutshell, that is accessibility: color, keyboard, and labeling. Believe it or not, those three things will get you 80% of the way 80% of the time. So accessibility isn't too bad, really. So how do you eat an elephant? Well, first of all, you start taking bites, and then you might discover it's made of chocolate. We also have a bunch of guidelines, and I hate talks with slides on. So if you just Google BBC Mobile Guidelines, you'll find it. You can find in here a lot of information about the requirements side, along with example code, test instructions, all that sort of jazz. And finally, you can find a champion or you can do the training. 
So we have champions dotted around the BBC. There's about 150 of them. The champions are how we communicate outwards. As a team, we're, our role is to push information around rather than to hold on to the information and do auditing and stuff. And finally, the Academy offers some accessibility training. And that's the end of the talk. Thank you for having me. Emma Pratt-Richards took Jamie's topic a little bit further. If the clothing industry were to make every outfit in one size, can you imagine the challenge that it would cause or the challenges that it would create? And that's before considering preferences in color or fabric. People come in many different shapes and sizes, ranging in height from two foot to eight foot, skinny, rotund, top heavy, bottom heavy, bulging with muscles and other lumps. Uh, people also come with many different abilities and impairments. Impairments can be permanent, temporary, or situational. So different people may have similar requirements, and a person's requirements may change. Something Microsoft's personas here uh, beautifully illustrate. Impairments can affect, different, uh, can affect anybody at any time, as children learning or when age reduces ability, through injury, illness, or other incapacity such as tiredness or inebriation. Disability is what happens when in the environment is a poor match for someone's impairments. For example, stairs will disable a wheelchair user, not the wheelchair. The stairs are the barrier to access. We can design better environments, tailored environments, accessible environments, environments that work for people no matter what size or shape they are and whatever abilities or impairments they might have. Accessible means no insurmountable barriers to access. That doesn't discount adjustable features for a better fit or people using assistive tools. And access routes will be used by people you didn't expect. Accessibility is providing buttons for users who cannot swipe that are also then used by people who are inexperienced with the tech. It is providing subtitles for deaf viewers that are also used in noisy places to stay quiet so you don't wake the baby or to understand an accent. It is providing a ramp for the wheelchair user that is also used by those with walking sticks, strollers, skateboards, and rolling suitcases, and acknowledging that some users will want to use the stairs anyway. Assistive tools or assistive technology help people with impairments to interact with the world and technology by reducing the impact of an impairment on their ability to access and interact with things. Spectacles, which I really should be wearing, prosthetics, wheelchairs, you get the idea. When it comes to technology, the most common assistive tool is the keyboard, which comes in many different shapes and sizes and styles to suit different people in different situations. This one has nice big letters. Pointers include the mouse, rollerballs, pens, joysticks, and touchpads. They also come in many different shapes and sizes. Some can even be controlled with feet. And a wide range of other tools, including head switches, body switches, mouthpieces, eye tracking, voice control, magnification, and Zoom software, braille readers, and text-to-speech screen readers, most use or mimic either keyboard or pointer control. Become familiar with the tools that other people use. At the very least, keyboard control and the native screen reader on whatever device you have. According to Martina Stark of Girls Who Code, Logic, visualization, user empathy, and language are the most applicable skills to succeed at anything. Accessibility is about tailoring to people, all people, in all their variety, not just one small subgroup. Get into the habit of spending a few minutes each day in somebody else's shoes. Check out empathy prompts 
www.ancestry.net for more ideas. Also, Anne Gibson's Alphabet of Accessibility and Dave uh, Latore's A11Y isn't just are also good food for thought. Inclusive design and development remembers the diversity of people and makes things that are accessible to all of them. Inclusive doesn't have to be dull or mundane. Use the limitations and complications people bring as a challenge to spark innovation. You're much more likely to create something that is better for everyone. Try to provide all users with an equivalent experience. Equivalence is when everyone can perceive, understand, navigate, interact with, and enjoy an experience in their own way. There's a great video about sign interpreting popular music and lyrics that explains this concept really well. The BBC Gel article about designing for accessibility covers these principles of inclusive design and the core considerations of color, keyboard, and labels that Jamie mentioned. The Passiello Group have also published inclusive design principles that you can get as a poster, and WebAIM have lots of resources for designers and developers. The BBC, the W3C, and other organizations have useful guidelines for accessibility. The BBC Academy and us, accessibility team, provide online training, tutorials, and face-to-face -face workshops. To support product teams checking accessibility, we've developed BBC Alley, an automated test framework that can plug into your CI and help with manual checks. BBC News to accessibility swarms, whereas the whole team help test something and learn together. We've also established, grown, and educated an extensive network of accessibility champions. Some of you are here. People who work with you and endeavor to encourage you and remind you about accessibility. You can find out lots more about that on Confluence. So how do you tailor for all people? Well, learn how they will use your product, improve their understanding, and make something flexible, adjustable, and inclusive. Because people come in a variety of shapes and sizes and abilities <laughs> and require opposite things. So be innovative, inclusive, and accessible. Thank you very much. And that was Emma Pratt-Richards. That's it from Develop 2018 here on 2LO Rebooted. You can see the full programme on Gateway, and I thoroughly recommend it, even if you don't see yourself as part of the BBC's developer community. We'll finish with Ros Smith, who chaired the London session, and she thanked the organisers. Massive thank you to all of our speakers today who've given up their time to come and talk. Thanks to the crew and technicians who've made everything, made all the live stream possible, and the sound and everything work, and the set up the presentations. And thanks very much to the events and audience services team who've helped to put on a great day as well. So a big round of applause for them.